I guess I should have done this in the, uh, in the announcement stage, but if you are new, or maybe this is one of your first few times, um, my name is James. Um, I serve as one of the pastors here at Freedom Village. Um, again, grateful to have you here. It's really nice to meet you. Hopefully, we'll get the opportunity to do that at our newcomers meeting as well. Well, today is a uh, really exciting Sunday uh, for, for two reasons. Uh, two reasons. I guess there's a lot of reasons. We get to worship when we get to hear God's word. That should always be enough, but two, two big reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, today we are baptizing a few people, and so I couldn't be more happy about that. Um, we're, doing, we're baptizing four people today, and then we're also going to be baptizing another four people in February, so really looking forward to that. We're going to be doing that at the end of our service today. And then second, uh, it's an exciting Sunday because today is uh, Vision, Vision Sunday, which means um, that I get the privilege, the honor, uh, the opportunity to unveil the word or the theme uh, that God has laid on my heart for our church uh, for 2023. Um, I say this each and every year, uh, but every year uh, that I've been pastoring here in Korea, uh, God has put a word or a phrase on my heart uh, for the year to come. And so uh, two years ago, if you were here at FBC, two years ago, it was this word uh, centered because of our desire to uh, center every part of our lives on the person and work of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And then this past year, if you were with us at the beginning of last year, um, it was this word fulfilled, fulfilled, which uh, communicated this truth or the truth that in Christ, we have everything that we need, um, that so many of us feel like we're empty uh, but we have everything that we need in Christ. And this year, um, this year's word, uh, it, it actually came to me about a month and a half ago. Um, I was just spending some time with the Lord. I was thinking about my life, uh, reflecting on my own life, uh, reflecting on our church here and in the church globally. And I was specifically, um, I was even searching for like a word. It wasn't like, okay, God, this is the day. It wasn't that. I was just spending time with Jesus um, and thinking about the idea of discipleship, I was thinking about my desire uh, to be a, a better disciple, uh, but also thinking about how we as a church uh, can grow in discipleship. Uh, and in doing that, it, it brought me back to the beginning of my walk with the Lord, uh, to the very beginning. Uh, and I started to, to think about that very first year uh, when I got really serious about Jesus uh, I remember at that time, I was uh, so passionate. I was so um, on, on fire. I was so eager, uh, so eager to learn. Um, literally, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Literally, all I wanted to do was study the Bible. Uh, all I wanted to do was listen to worship music and spend time with other people who were doing the same. Um, and I had, a, in many ways, I had the opportunity uh, to do that. I was, God surrounded me with some amazing people. And I remember in that, in that season of my life, um, I can look back and I can still point out markers. I, I was growing so much. I grew so much. My, my life was visibly transforming. Um, it, was, it was changing. I was becoming a disciple. I was being shaped by Jesus. I was being transformed by his gospel. And I just remember every day I was so in awe, awe of the Lord, so grateful for what he did for, for me. And then, after that, I, I started to think about my life now. And, and if I could be honest, I, I feel like in this last season, uh, my awe of him 
um, just isn't where it used to be or maybe where it, where it needs to be. Um, in, in some ways, I feel like I've gotten a little rusty uh, in, in that area. I, I feel like my, my perspective needs some adjusting. I, I feel like I, I need to once again highly treasure Jesus and all that he is for me. And, and maybe, maybe um, some of us here um, are, find ourselves in that place as well. Well, then, a- after I had that time with the Lord and had those thoughts sort of kind of wash over me, um, I actually shared this with a, a pastor friend of mine um, in our city. We were having coffee together, and I shared this. And at the end of that conversation, we were dialoguing back and forth, I, I, I said this. I just said these words. I said, I just, think, I just think that once again, as the church, I'm speaking as the whole church, you know, in Seoul, um, maybe in the West, but even here, I said, I just think once again, as the church, we need to behold him. Those words came out. We need to once again see him for who he truly is. And then after that, I said, that's it. (laughs) Uh, That's the word for Freedom Village in 2023. It's the word behold. Well, later that same evening, exact same evening, I would say, I don't know, six hours later at the most, I got a message from that pastor on Cacao. And the message said this. Hey, I just, I'm reading the quote. Hey, I just opened Instagram for the first time today. (laughs) Look at what's at the top of my feed. I'm excited for the direction you'll be leading FBC in in 2023. Pretty interesting. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Maybe for, for those of you here, some of you, you think it says beholding. Okay. I have no idea who the author is in the title. I never looked. It doesn't matter (laughs) Um, of that book. Some of you, that seems maybe small, or maybe others, it's a coincidence, but it doesn't matter, not to me. (laughs) Um, That was confirmation. It was clarity. Um, And all of a sudden, it just gave me this great sense of peace and overwhelming excitement that as a gathering... This year, this is the direction that we need to go. And so, um, this is our word for 2023. Behold. There it is. Behold. Um, This year, uh, I want us to uh, center our hearts and attention on beholding the Lord. uh, To behold his glory. To once again remind ourselves of our need to fix our gaze on him and to be in awe of him. Why? Why? Well, first and foremost, because he is worthy of beholding. Our God is worthy of beholding. That's what today is going to be about. Our God, who is the creator of all things, perfect and good, the one who is and will always be. He is merciful, gracious, abounding in love. He is unchanging. He is perfect, and at the same time, he's personal. All things depend on him, the scriptures say. Our God is worthy of beholding, and so we need that reminder. We need that reminder. But also, um, I believe that we need to fix our hearts or focus on what we behold, because I'm convinced that whatever it is that we behold, whatever it is that holds our awe, the thing that takes central glory in our lives, whatever it is, whatever that thing is, is fundamentally shaping your life. It's changing you. 
And that's why beholding is so important. So that's actually going to be the next two weeks together. Um, we're going to be talking about beholding Christ in his glory for the two, next two weeks. But then after that, throughout the rest of this year, this theme of beholding will really drive a lot of what we do. Okay? It's going to be centered to our prayer and fasting coming up at the end of the month. Um, it's going to drive our standalones. Actually, even as we go and study through the Gospel of John, we're going to see this idea of beholding him a lot. Okay? Um, and so that being said, um, I want to move into our main text for today. Um, God, uh, a couple weeks ago, led me to Isaiah chapter 40. Um, and as you might have guessed, this text has a lot to say about beholding the glory of God. So let me invite you to turn with me there. Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Now as you're turning there, uh, just a bit of context for this passage. Uh, we know that Isaiah was in the long line of Old Testament prophets who were called and sent by God to relay God's word to God's people. And for Isaiah, we know his aim specifically was to call people out of their spiritual indifference. Okay? He was sent to the Israelites to call people out of their spiritual apathy, their indifference, and to call them back into a deep and thriving living faith. See, in his time, God's people had become tempted into trusting in everything but God. They were drifting away. Again, they were becoming apathetic uh, to the things of God and his kingdom, if you will. Um, in our day, the equivalent of this, um, in our day, it would be people who think and say, who are followers of Jesus. They say they're followers of Jesus, but they think and say things like this. Well, um, I, have, I just have too much work to do to be all about Jesus. I have too much that I personally want to accomplish first, then I'll get to Jesus. Um, there's a lot of different experiences that I want to have. There's a lot of, it's a big world, a lot of places to see, then I'll get to Jesus. There's too much for me to be worried about right now. Like there's some big decisions I need to make, then I'll get to the things of the kingdom. I need to pursue other relationships first. First, God's got to provide me with some meaningful relationships or a significant other, then I'll get serious about him. Let me get a stable job first, then I can start being all in. Then I can start giving back to the kingdom. Then maybe I can be all about Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, what happens is every single time, God slowly but surely gets pushed to the margins of our, of our lives. He goes from being the priority to being a priority to being non-existent. And so Isaiah, throughout this whole book, and in our passage in particular, is attempting to correct that. He identifies that posture of the heart and he seeks to put people back on the straight and narrow road. And in working through this passage today, my hope is to correct us as well. I want us to see that our hearts always do this, that we tend to, over time, allow our minds and allow our hearts to actually shrink our view of God. We stop thinking about him. We stop trusting him. We tend to lose our awe of him. We tend to lose our wonder of him, all that he is and all that he has done. And actually, we even allow other things in our lives to seem bigger than God and more impressive than God. And so in that, our love and affection for him 
our passion for him actually wanes and becomes lukewarm. This was the Israelites over and over and over again, and this is us over and over and over again. We don't continuously behold the Lord in the way that we should. And so to that, what does Isaiah do? How does he attempt to shake them out of their spiritual slumber, if you will? Well, it's simple. It's simple. He, he wakes them up by reminding them of the glory of the Lord. This is Isaiah 40. It's why at the end of verse 9, he says to them, it's a strong command. He says to them, behold your God. Look at your life. Look at where you're going. Look at your tendencies. Look at your apathy, your lukewarmness. Stop. Behold your God. Behold him. Behold, it, it means, that word behold, it means to hold something in view. It means to fixate your eyes or to, to keep something within your sight. So Isaiah is saying here, hold in view the excellent one. Keep him in your sight. Keep in view the splendid excellence of the creator of all things. Isaiah reminds them of this. And so allow me, allow me to do the same thing for us. Through Isaiah 40, I want us to once again see that our God is worthy of beholding. That's today. That's it. I want to make a case. God is worthy of beholding. So let's begin. And we're going to start in verses 12 through 14 if you have a copy of God's word out in front of you. We see here Isaiah starts by highlighting that God is the all-wise creator. Okay? There's four, I think, four characteristics I'm going to highlight. This isn't on the screen. But the first thing we're going to see, God is the all-wise creator, if you're taking notes. He's the all-wise creator. He says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Now, of course, we know these are all rhetorical questions, but um, at least for me, they're really fun to think about. And so I want to do that really briefly, okay? What, what Isaiah is saying here, he's saying, get this in your mind. He's saying, all the oceans, some of you were just at one, all the lakes, the rivers, the springs, all of it, together even, they are like a drop of water in our God's hands. He says, all the heavens, the created universe, what we've discovered so far, even, they are marked off, he says, by a span. It's an interesting word. That word span, it's an old word. It's, uh, it's the distance between the thumb and the point of your pinky for the craftsman. And so Isaiah is saying here, for our God, all of the heavens, all of our universe can be measured within that span. God can observe it like this. Looks pretty good. Every speck of dust, he says, every, every speck of dirt, he knows it. These words here are the words of a master craftsman. The word measures, marked, weighed. All of God's creation, Isaiah said, are a display of God's workmanship. So to us, our world, 
our universe is massive, right? We, again, we don't know the edges of, of our universe yet. We, there's so much yet to be discovered. So much more. It's unsearchable. But for God, but for God, it's like a kid's craft project. Isaiah continues. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? We don't see this directly here in the text. It's not overt, but what Isaiah is actually doing here is he's making a mockery of the other gods of that time period. Specifically, he's calling out one god, and that was the god of the Babylonians. His name was Marduk. He was their creator, okay? Or in their, in their folklore or mythology, Marduk was the creator in Babylon. And in that story, it's interesting, if you read through Babylonian history and about Marduk, um, Marduk is creating the world. But in that creation, and as he's doing it, he actually comes to a stopping point. It's too big for him. And so what happens is that he cannot, Marduk, cannot proceed with creation. He could no longer create without consulting other gods. He didn't have all the answers. How should I do this? How should I form everything together? And so Isaiah is saying here, not with our God. (laughs) He needs no outside wisdom. He doesn't need counsel. No one taught him how to be just. In fact, no one taught him anything because he is the source of all things. He is the standard of all things. He is supreme. That's the point here. God didn't need anything. Anything. He imagined every tropical fish, every single bird, every plant that you observe and see, every color that your human eye lays eyes upon, every single weather pattern, every sea curtain. Listen, he established every function of physics, chemistry, biology, mathematics, and logic. He shaped galaxies with one word. So Isaiah is beginning here by saying, your God, you've forgotten. You've lost your awe of him. So let me remind you, he's the all-wise creator. Behold him. Well, then he moves, moves to God's immeasurable immensity. He's making the case that God is grand. This is verses 15 through 17. He says this, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. And then look at verse 17. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. What he's saying here, or what is Isaiah saying here in this text? It's an interesting phrase. The nations are like a drop in the bucket. The nations are less than nothing, he says. Well, what Isaiah is simply saying is the nations are insignificant. Okay, and that might be hard for some of us to hear. Um, but let me be clear. What Isaiah is not saying is that God hates the nations. That's not what he's saying. No, we know that God loves the nations. He wants the nations to be saved and come into a, a relationship with him. So in that, the nations are not worthless. But what he is saying is that their only worth comes from him. That outside of him, they're meaningless. They're less than nothing. They're a drop in the bucket. Here today... 
gone to the next. So what he's saying really is from Pharaoh to Nebuchadnezzar, from Alexander the Great to the, to the great Julius Caesar, from Genghis Khan to Napoleon to from Hitler to Gandhi, from Thomas Jefferson to Joe Biden, all the nations, all the leaders of the world across all human history are like a drop. Insignificant. They're here today and they're gone the next. In other words, they are nothing in comparison to the Lord. Just a drop in the bucket. Just a fleck of dust, dust on a scale. Nothing. And he highlights one nation specifically. To give us an example of this, verse 16, he says, Lebanon, which is a great city in Babylon, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offering. Um, that doesn't have a lot of meaning to us probably, but back then this would have been like a gasp, like what? <laughs> we know that Leb- Lebanon was famous for a lot of different things. They were the world power of the day. But one thing in particular they were known for, and that was their vast cedar forests. Um, if you've ever been to California um, and you've gone to like the redwood forests, for example, and you've seen these just gigantic sequoias or cedars, it's, it's hard to even like, at first as you're driving up to them, walking, it's hard to believe they're even real. They're just massive. Lebanon was known for very similar thing. These vast cedar forests, gigantic, huge, spread out across kilometers, thousands of miles, gigantic trees. And so what Isaiah says here, he says, even if every single one of those trees, all those forests were were cut down and all that wood was piled up on high, and then every single animal was slaughtered and killed in Babylon, in Lebanon, and they were sacrificed and put on a burnt offering For the Lord, it would not even come close to being worthy of the glory of God. It'd be nothing. You see, even the most magnificent attempts to worship this God of glory fall short of his majesty. Why? Why? Well, for one, because our worship is weak, (laughs) okay? Our worship is weak. It's half-hearted a lot of times. But the bigger point is because his glory is so great. It's so grand. It's so vast. So Isaiah is trying to get us to see here that our thoughts of God are oftentimes, perhaps most of the time, too small. And our thoughts of man and created things are often too great. We have such a high view of certain people, don't we? Like celebrities or like movies are, we just have this, wow, like what a life. Or, look, we have such a high view of people, such a small view of God. And so Isaiah is drawing attention to what we give our awe to, to what we behold. And so the obvious question for all of us this morning is, so what do you behold? Do you see God like this? Is your God this big? Isaiah says that our God is immeasurably immense. Well, then in verses 18 through 20, Isaiah highlights that a third point, that God alone is the only God. Okay? God alone is the only God. He says, 
To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? He's sort of in the same vein of thought here, but but here he's highlighting here this reality that our hearts tend to reduce God to categories or things that we can understand and things that we can control. Now we know, we know throughout the scriptures, the Bible does in fact use a lot of metaphors, okay, to to describe something of God's nature or uh, his character. And so we know this, the majority of us. uh, For example, um, God is referred to as a lamb. He's referred to as a lion. He's referred to as a servant or as a father or as a king or as a husband. But, But just in case we miss the point, we're reminded here that it takes all of those metaphors and more to describe him. But even with that, they all fall short because he is incomparable. There's no one like him. He doesn't, in other words, he doesn't fit in any man-made box that we might create and put him in, which again, we tend to do. So Isaiah continues this point. He says, an idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. You know, I was thinking here, he's describing how idols are made and formed. And I was thinking here how the process for making idols actually hasn't changed over thousands of years. It's substituting, making an idol is, is substituting things or people or experiences in place of the living God and giving that thing, that person, more love, attention, and affection than they deserve and that only God deserves. So Isaiah is actually highlighting here, excuse my language, but how stupid it is for us to center our lives on created things. But then, how we go on and do that very thing anyways. It is so foolish to build your life on an idol. We all agree with that. That's why you're looking at me with like, yeah, it is. But then we do it. (laughs) See, you might not have a bronze statue in your house that you worship today. But maybe your idol is shaped like a resume. Or maybe your idol is a number, a certain figure that you have in your head uh, that should be in your bank account. Maybe it's a person Maybe it's a particular experience. Not that those things are bad things, but they cannot and were not meant to be God things or take God's place. Idols can look impressive. Oftentimes, actually, they do. Something or sometimes an idol is something that everyone around you is pursuing. Right? All that one thing. Like I think overall, like nations in particular are are guilty of this holistically, right? And so every nation you go to, that nation might have a particular idol or a particular thing that they're after. And so, well, everyone's doing it. We're all in this line together. We're all going through this thing. It's not just, it's not just like words. It's a part of the culture. It's ingrained. This is what we do. This is how we identify ourselves. This is what we pursue to make ourselves a good person, right? This is, 
It's, it's culture. So maybe everything's pursuing that one thing. It could still be an idol. Sometimes idols inspire awe. Sometimes idols actually exude beauty. It's, they're glorious. But with idols, all they are is what they are. Or I'd say it this way. What you see is what you get. They don't last, which is why we cannot are not meant to build our lives on them. It would be foolish, Isaiah says, to do that. And it's why we shouldn't behold them. That's what Isaiah is saying. There's only one God and one God alone. And then Isaiah turns to the supremacy and authority of that one true God. So now he highlights his supremacy and his authority. And we see this starting in verse 21. He says, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. This questioning here, all this questioning here, is insisting that there are important lessons that can be learned from the fact that the world is created and that everything originates in that creator. He's saying, the Lord of glory maintains everything. He sits above the earth and rules over it with ease. I love that Isaiah, how he says it here. He says he's ruling it with authority, and how is he doing it? He's doing it sitting down. There's a sense of calm and peace. There's ease in this. There's not a struggle. There's not like a bunch of people getting together, like, again, consulting. How should we lead well? Or how should we rule? Like, let's get a bunch of people in for the roundtable meeting and discuss what our next steps are. Nope, he just sits there, sitting down, rules it with ease, oversees everything with ease. Verse 23, he says, Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcely are they planted. That's just speaking of the worldly rulers. Scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he, the Lord, blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. There's a lot there, but bottom line, God, again, he's making the point, God is the executive of the universe. He's even over those who seem like they hold the highest amount of power, the highest positions of authority. And while they seem to hold power, they are all and always under his hand. That's what Isaiah says. For it's him who raises up leaders, and it's him who brings them down. You know, for us, at least for me, maybe you find yourself in this category sometimes, as we watch the news, as we scroll through Instagram or or Twitter, you know, life at times can come at us like a raging storm, can it? Everything Everybody is freaking out over everything that's happening all the time. Like constantly. Like there's a new hashtag trending on Twitter like every three days. Everyone's freaking out all the time. Everything's big news. This person got canceled or this person, you know, thinks this way or this person doesn't think the right way or whatever. This, you know, this group of people in the house is voting or whatever. It's all, it's massive chaos all the time. But here... Isaiah says, the Lord just needs to breathe and everything gets sorted. 
He's that big, that significant, that strong. He has that much authority. He just sits down and breathes. And knowing this, reading this here, believing this, if we truly believe this, doesn't it put our lives, doesn't it put our worries and our anxieties in their proper place? God is really the only one that we should fear, right? The only thing that we should fear. And then finally, Isaiah highlights the incomparable greatness of God. The incomparable greatness of God. This is verses 25 through 26. I love, I love these verses. That's why I wanted to land here as well. He says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Isaiah puts the hammer down here, if you will. That title, Holy One, here, it crushes any thought of comparing anything or anyone with God. He is set apart. There was no other. He's incomparable. This is his name. It's great. He is the Holy One. And then that holy one, verse 26, it says this. Lift up your eyes. It's a call for us. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Behold, who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. One of the things that you and I miss by living in a city like Seoul is the ability to see the stars at night, right? All the light pollution and just pollution. <laughs> but if you've seen it, um, and if you haven't, make it a priority to go see it. If you've seen it, you know it's glorious. And yet, it's so easy as we look upon the heavens and the stars, it is so easy to take for granted who created those stars. We shouldn't take it for granted, but we do. This vast universe that we live in is sustained, Isaiah says, moment by moment by the greatness of his might. And its sole purpose, our universe, its sole purpose is to display the glory of God. It's awe-inspiring when you see it. It, 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 cre it causes us to wonder because it points us to the one who, who brings us such great awe and such great wonder. I mean, just, just take the sun, for example. One of my favorite classes in college, I took an astronomy class. It was actually in one of those like viewing things. Like, I forget what they're called. Someone remind me. Planetarium. planetarium thank you. It's in a planetarium, actually. The class was in a planetarium. Hard to stay awake sometimes. It's dark classes at night, but man, my favorite classes, I just remember, and I had to look up all these facts again, but just take the sun. The surface of our sun, the surface of it, is a cool 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. 
That's 5,500 degrees Celsius. With an internal core, that's 27 million degrees Fahrenheit or 15 million degrees Celsius. The diameter of our sun, it's 87,000 miles or 140,000 kilometers around. It is 109 times the size of the earth. You could actually fit, fit 1 million earths inside of our sun. And by the way, our sun is just an average star. Just average. Like, in our universe, it's like, meh. There's a sun. It's whatever. Our solar system, the, the Milky Way, it's estimated, currently estimated, and it changes like every decade, but it's currently estimated that in, within our, our Milky Way galaxy, there are between 300 to 400 billion stars within our galaxy. And more than that, there are at least, at least 100 billion planets that's 100, 100 zero, zero with nine zeros. That's just, by the way, within our Milky Way galaxy, within our solar system. And get this, I, I've just read this. This is a new update. As best we can tell, there are roughly 100 billion galaxies like the Milky Way out there in our universe. And what's my point? I'll probably give you some more next week. But what's my point in telling you all this? It's like to rehash my freshman year in college, right? Right? Is it like I just love space? Like I love the stars? No. My point is as impressive it is as it is to try to, get our, to wrap our minds around some of this, how much more impressive is the one who made it? How much more impressive is the one who controls it? How much more impressive is the one who, who, who measures it within the span of his, his hand, who calls each star by name? Our God is worth beholding. Listen, Isaiah tells us, he reminds us that God is the all-wise creator, that he is immeasurable, supreme in authority and incomparable in greatness. And because of that and so much more, he is not just worth beholding. He is the only one worthy of beholding. Do you see that today? Do you believe that? So listen, listen now. As we try to wrap our minds around all of this, don't you think that this God deserves our awe? This, this God should cause us to reassess our priorities this God should cause us to ask ourselves, what am I doing with the life that he has given me? Am I wasting it? See, it's not enough to just know about him. It's not enough to, to talk about him. The realities of the glory of God should cause us to reorient everything around him to change everything for him, and to give everything to him. Something that Jesus said, one of his shortest teachings, it's a parable, has really struck a chord on my heart lately. It's been, uh, it's been really messing me up. I'll just say it that way. 
Jesus said this. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This merchant, we're told by Jesus, when he saw this pearl, his, his job is the pearl business. But when he finds this one particular pearl of great value, we see here in this text, Jesus says that he was in awe of it. He, he, he was captivated by it. His heart was drawn to it. And as he, he held it in his hand, when, when, he, when he found it, there was just one right and proper response. Just one. Give everything. Sell it all. Change my life for it. And so it should be when you and I see God, when we find Jesus, when we behold him for who he is in all of his beauty and all of his glory. But the picture that just kept coming into my mind as I've been, oh, for weeks now, meditating on this parable, the picture that just keeps coming to my mind over and over and over again is that for so many of us, for so many of us, we found Jesus. That's true for a good majority of us here at FEC. We found Jesus. We found the pearl. It's ours. We've obtained it. But, but, we just carry him around in our pocket like he's another one of our accessories. We take for granted what we have in the person of Jesus Christ. We take for granted what we've obtained in Jesus. We, we lose our awe of him. We tend to turn to other things. You and I are beholding other things. We do this, right? We do this. Can you hand me my phone right here in the front? Man, can you hand that to me? You could throw it up to me even. It's fine. Thanks. I remember when I got my first ever iPhone. I remember. I was so excited to have it. It was all the hype. Everyone was after it, right? I remember. This device that not only plays music, but can call people too. Wow, like some of you younger in the room, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Your, li your life has always been like that, okay? Privileged, okay? <laughs> I remember, though, I could, like, not only can I, like, I can play games on it. I can go on the internet. Like, what was I, like, what was I doing on the internet anyway? You know, like, well, go on the internet, I could check, or whatever. I was, to a certain extent, genuinely in awe of that device, to the point where I was willing to wait in line hours to get it. And I did that. And you could only buy two. I remember that. Right? So people would buy one and then sell the other. Right? It was like a thing. People still do that with shoes and all that stuff too. But I was willing to wait in line hours to get it. I remember, I remember it was so precious to me. So precious to me. There was a lot of money that went into it as well. And so I bought this really nice case for it that would protect it. Like it was like a tank, right? You couldn't even know, you didn't even know it was an iPhone, right? We used to do this, right? So I bought this nice 
case for it that were protected. I, I covered the screen. You know that like piece of plastic that goes over the screen? I didn't remove that for like months even, right? So careful. And now years later, years later, I've gone through many iterations, and now here I have an iPhone 13. And you know what? Who cares? Like, if I drop it, no big deal. Don't, don't. It's just a phone. It's a phone. Is it cool? Sure. But overall, I'm telling you, the iPhone has lost its value for me. It's just something that I actually, I feel like I need to carry around in my pocket now. It's just something I need. I've moved on to other things. To be honest, I'm in awe of a lot of other things now. And my concern is, I say that to say, I also tend to do that with Jesus. I forget all too often the awe-inspiring majesty of the creator God. I lose sight of his glory. And I know I do that. Because I know that if I kept my eyes on him always... If my mind and my heart were always fixated on him, everything about me always would be changing for the good. I'd run to the scriptures every single day to learn more about him, and I don't. I'd go to bed at night with joy, anticipating the next morning that I could just get up again and pray just to be with him, but I don't. I'd give more. I would serve more. I'd sacrifice more. I would worry less. I'd complain less. My perspective would change. My heart's motivation would be different. With conviction, if I truly saw the Lord for who he is, with confidence, deep confidence, I would say, like David in Psalm 84, better is one day with you, just one day, just one Jesus, than a thousand anywhere else. There's no place I'd rather be. But I don't do that. Not always. So today, as we, as we enter into this new year, I just want to remind you simply that our God is worthy. He's worthy of beholding. He's awe-inspiring, and he deserves your awe. So let's, as a gathering collectively, let's together commit to keep him in our view. Let's hold him in our sights. Let's see him for who he is. He's the all-wise creator, the immeasurable one. He is supreme in power, incomparable in greatness. He is worthy of giving everything to and giving everything up for Behold your God. Let me pray for you.